Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning and open our eyes to your truth and make our hearts love you and love your word. Please help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this chapter, uh, chapter 14, uh, three main sections, um, just like last week, chapter 13 had three main sections, and, and basically it's divided up um, by location, all right? So the first few verses is in a place called Iconium. I'm going to put a map up here in a second. Uh, the second and the biggest section is in Lystra, and then the end, it's, he's, they're making return back from, through the places they've been going all the way back to Antioch where they started. So there's the map. So, remember, they started in the beginning of chapter 13 here in Syrian Antioch. There's two Antiochs, one in Syria, and then one up here in what's called Pisidia. And uh, so they go over to Seleucia, catch a boat, go to Cyprus, work through the island, run across this character named Bar-Jesus, and he's, uh, remember the Apostle Paul does the the uh, negative miracle, I guess you could say, of, of blinding him. He's a false prophet. And the proconsul, so the 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 uh, Roman governor or kind of official over the over that city or island, I'm not sure how big his um, territory was, becomes a Christian. Um, then they get on another boat, go up here to Pamphylia, and then up to Antioch. This is where the biggest. Uh, I don't know if I'm thinking right or not, but he ends up in Antioch and then over here in Iconium. And today, uh, this is where we are. So let's just read the chapter. Okay, chapter 14. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore they spent a long time there, speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who is testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra and Derby, and the surrounding region, and there they continued to preach the gospel. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you, and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. 
In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Pisidia and came into Pamphylia. Oops. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they spent a long time with the disciples. Okay. So again, three sections, and it's arranged geographically, and we're going to start in this little place called Iconium. I don't have the map up there anymore. Um, Actually... Nope. Let's go back. There we go. So Iconium is over here, right? And you see these three places, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, that are going to come up today, and Antioch. So first of all, ministry in Iconium. Um, verses 1 to 7. This is the first half of that. So it says, in Iconium... They entered the synagogue of the Jews together. Um, that probably means not just that Paul and Barnabas entered the synagogue together, um, but they, that they went in with the, whole, with the crowds. So the, here you have the same thing that we saw in, in chapter 13. They go into the synagogue first, remember? So to the Jew first, he says in, in Romans, and also the, to the Greek or also to the Gentile. And in, last cha- in the last chapter, chapter 13, we saw this kind of decisive shift away from the Jews. Remember that? Um, remember what he said to the Jews after, again, they, they are so obstinate and rejecting the, the gospel, rejecting their, their God, rejecting Jesus. He says, since you what? Remember the line? Since you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we're turning now to the Gentiles. And then it said, when the Gentiles heard this, they what? They rejoiced. And as many, and and it says, I think, glorified the word of the Lord. This is 1348. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. Right? And so, but here they are. They're going to another town. They move on. And yet, what do they do first? They enter the synagogue of the Jews. So it's not that they're done with the Jews, when he says, okay, we're going to the Gentiles now, there's still this um, desire to see the Jews come to faith. Remember, this is what 
The Apostle Paul says in, in Romans chapter, what is it, 11? I think. Uh, 9, 10, 11 in there. He talks about the fact that he is, he very much, if he could, if he could himself be accursed so that his people, the Jews, could be saved, he would do it. And so there's, a, there's kind of an official turning to the Gentiles now, and yet he still has a heart for the Jews. So he goes into the Jewish synagogue. Look what it says. In Iconium, they enter the synagogue of the Jews together with the whole crowd, basically. And then it says, and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed both of Jews and Greeks. Now, I just want you to notice that, um, that phrase, spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed. What are, what are your observations or thoughts about that line? What does that mean? There's a cause and effect, right? The, the cause is the way that they spoke, right? And the effect is a large number of people believe both Jews and Gentiles. What is that? What do we learn from that? Well, yeah. I'm more concerned about this. Yeah. There is a way of speaking, right? There is a way of speaking that leads to, in this case, a large number of people believing. It's not indifferent. It's not neutral. It's not that you stand up and, you know, when you, if you believe what um, Acts 13.48 says, which I just quoted to you a minute ago, the Gentiles, when they heard it, rejoiced, and as many as been appointed to eternal life believed, okay? That is talking about the doctrine of election. They had been appointed to eternal life, and those who had been appointed to eternal life, we know from other places, speaks more fully of that, before the foundation of the world, okay? That's what Scripture teaches over and over again. We were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, the word predestination is all over the Bible, okay? Um, okay, so as many as been appointed to eternal life, those are the ones who believed. All right, the belief came after they were appointed to eternal life. They didn't believe, and God responded to that by saying, okay, I'm appointing you to eternal life. It's the other way around. Appointed to eternal life and eternity passed, and they believed. So you have that. And what people have often done with that true doctrine is come up, act as if it doesn't really matter what we do, right? All I have to do is just give you the truth. Blah, 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 blah. Jesus died for your, well, I can't say that because I'm a Calvinist, so why do I say, well, Jesus, uh, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, if you're going to, if God's going to save you, he'll save you. And that's all I've done my job. Not in my hands anymore. They spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed. All right, the way that Luke, the Holy Spirit through, the, through Luke, is pointing out something here, that the way that they spoke led to a large number of people believing. Perfectly consistent with Acts 13.48. All right? They're not at odds with each other at all. God uses means. 
And they spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed. Okay, yes. There are always Greeks in the synagogues. Uh, they're proselytes. They're, God, they're called God-fearers or proselytes. God-fearers hadn't really become Jews outwardly, um, but they were there. And proselytes had basically become Jews. So you always had both. And you see both all through the, the, these accounts. All right, any thoughts or questions about that, that line and that connection? Andy? Yeah. Yes. Right. He's speaking to the Greeks, although they're in the synagogue. These aren't the the kind of Greeks he's going to speak to in the next section, uh, who are ready to to um, thanks, who are ready to sacrifice to Zeus. Right. So these are these are uh, Greeks. Who are who are who are who know the Old Testament because they're in the synagogue. Now, what happens next? It's what always happens, right? But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Okay, this is, again, what always happens. Remember the, the most frequent word used to describe the, what would you say? The emotional, I don't know, is jealousy an emotion? I think so. <laughs> okay. So the most frequent word used to describe the emotional uh, life of the Jews in the book of Acts is jealous. Jealousy. They're always, always, always jealous of the Christians, of the apostles, um, the Apostle Paul picks up that word in, in Romans when we get into, maybe in a few years, we'll get to Romans 11. And you'll see that again. And it's actually part of the plan of God. It's not some random thing. Uh, we'll, I'll, we'll, I'll talk about that later. We don't have time today. But I'll point it out. But look what it says. The Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren embittered them. What does that even look like? I don't know. Made them nasty. But look at the next word. All right. The Jews of disbelief stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. What's the word, next word? Therefore. So this caused what comes after, Right? Jews disbelieve, who disbelieve stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against their brethren. So, therefore, what did the brethren do? What did Paul and Barnabas do? Well, they spent a long time there, speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord. In other words, it wasn't, oh, opposition. Uh, the Jews have uh, done what they always do. They, they've stirred up the Gentiles. It's getting dangerous. They've embittered themselves against us. We better move on. What it says is, because the Jews embittered them, the Gentiles against them, therefore they stayed longer. They dug in their heels. They doubled down, right? And in fact, it says they spent a long time there. We don't know how long. And how did they speak? Boldly. With reliance upon the Lord. Notice what the Lord was doing as they relied on him. It says, 
he was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. First of all, he calls, it's just a sweet little thing to note. Uh, This is what he calls the gospel here, the word of his grace, right? The message of his grace, that's the gospel. So therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance on the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting the signs and wonders be done by their hands. This is the purpose of miracles, isn't it? What is it? What does this verse say the purpose of miracles is? Hmm? To validate the teaching. It's, it's a testimony of God himself. The Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, so it's the Lord himself giving testimony to the truth of, his, of the gospel and the, and the preaching of the gospel by the apostles, by granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. This is how it always is. There are no bare miracles. There are no miracles that are just done randomly for the, for, the, for the miracle's sake. The miracle always is done to testify to the word of his grace. We see this all through the book of Acts, always. All right, it's not just, it's not just uh, random or neutral or kind of hanging out there, Right? It's for, the, for a point. And the point is testifying to the word of his grace. What else, what else do we learn by those, by those lines? Anything else? Look at the pronouns again. Who's doing the miracles? What's the source of the miracles? It's the Lord, right? He, the Lord, who is testifying to the word of his grace by granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. The source of the miracles is God. Again, this is not something that Paul and Barnabas can pull out of the hat at will, right? This is the Lord. It draws attention to their agency. Mm-hmm. Yes. The Lord is using means, just like he did up here. He's using their preaching to accomplish his purposes. Down here, he, yeah, he's, he's not, um, Paul and Barnabas are not uninvolved in this. They, they're the ones doing the miracles, humanly speaking, but it's not them, it's God. Giving the gift, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. It's by their hands, Yeah. Yeah. Very encouraging to the apostles to have this coming through them. Absolutely. All right. Now let's, let's move on to the next part. Still the first section in Iconium. It says, but the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Okay. Surprise? Surprise, surprise? Paul and Barnabas, they just didn't understand. How divisive. Okay? The people of the city were, this is what the gospel always does. It always divides people. Paul and Barnabas weren't doing something wrong. They weren't messing up. They weren't weren't messing up the message or the presentation of the message. They were speaking in such a way that a large number believed. So they had both the message and the presentation right. 
God was using it, doing miracles through them, and even still, maybe even more so because, right, the, 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 the greater the clarity of the message, the more division comes, not less. Clarity and truth always brings division. Always, always, always. You right? You all with me? Always brings division. Clarity doesn't bring... Um, mushiness brings mushiness. Uh, clarity brings division. And so the people are divided, some side with the Jews, some side with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers, again, this is what always happens, it's the rulers always get involved. Why do the rulers always get involved? And we'll see this over and over again, all the way up to Rome, all the way up to the emperor eventually. Why do the rulers always get involved? Jealousy and power. But see, all these rulers are just stupid because they just don't understand that the church and the gospel has nothing to do with civil society and there's no, there were no threat to them. Huh? Yes, it is. They know it. They, okay, we're going to see this over and over again. We saw it in the first half of, of Acts. It's always the rulers who see the threat because it is, in fact, a threat. Why, is there, why are the Christians a threat? Who's Lord? Jesus is Lord. Not Caesar. Not the state. The claims of Christ are absolutely a threat to the civil magistrate who are ruling against God, always. And so it always comes down to this, okay? The rulers always get involved. What's that? I say the rulers get upset when you tell them. Clearly. (laughs) Clearly the rulers get upset. Who gets upset today is the Christians. So, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews, that's the one thing they can agree on, let's kill the apostles, you know, um, with their rulers, the Jews don't have any political power, they always have to use the Gentiles to get their dirty work done, just like the crucifixion. An attempt was made to mistreat and to stone them. They became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe and the surrounding region, and they, there they continued to preach the gospels. Now, think about this. Were Paul and Barnabas uh, cowardly or brave? Cowardly or brave? Any hands for cowardly? No, okay. <laughs> yes. They were certainly not cowards, even though they fled, all right? It is not cowardly. Well, let me put it this way. It's not brave to needlessly throw yourself to certain death, especially when you have work to do, all right? Paul, you see, you see the apostles doing this pretty frequently. Remember Paul, at the very beginning of his ministry, he's uh, in the city of Damascus, and the, uh, the, again, the Jews stir up the people, and make a plot with the leader of the city, and they, you know, they put a price on his head, and what does Paul do? Turn himself in? 
Romans 13, you got to obey the civil magistrate. I better, there's a price on my head. I better, guess I better go turn myself in at the sheriff's office. What does he do? What does he do? This is the basket over the wall event, right? He's out of there. He's not going to turn himself in. Right? He's going to go and live to preach another day. And this is exactly what they do here. They're out of there. And what do they do as soon as they get to the next city? Or cities? They keep doing what got them in trouble in the first place. Right? So no. They're not cowards. They're just not idiots. (laughs) Okay. Harmless as doves. Why is the serpent's harmless as doves? Right? They, they know what's going on. It's time to go. And yet they keep on doing exactly what got them plotted against in the first place. They keep on preaching. So no, they're not cowards. All right. Let's move on to the next section here. Ministry in Lystra, verses 8 to 18. So Lystra is down here. So they go from Iconium down to Lystra. All right, verse eight. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. So people who live in Lystra, what do we call them? Lysterines. <laughs> At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke. Notice that. He's listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he leaped up and began to walk. So notice the order here. The man was what? What was the man doing? He's listening to Paul preach, and then Paul looks at him, and somehow or another, we don't know, this is just a supernatural insight that God gave him, or if it was just somehow perfectly obvious and all of us would have seen it, but what did Paul see? Faith, right? He saw that the man had faith. So the man is listening to Paul's preaching and then he sees that he has faith. Faith comes from hearing the word. All right, so the faith that this man has is, is, is not just faith that he's gonna walk. He has faith. This man has been converted. He's hearing the preaching of the gospel and he has faith and Paul looks at it somehow and sees it. This is a believer. Stand, up, stand upright on your feet. And he adds to that blessing of the new birth, the blessing of healing him. And he leaped up and began to walk. And now it says, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, oh, that's what it is, Lyconian, not Listerine. All right. They said in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. Now, they'd been hearing the preaching, but they just don't get it, right? God had not opened their eyes. God had not given them faith. And so they could hear the preaching all day and just blah, 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 blah. To some, God gives faith. To some, he doesn't. And as soon as then they see this thing that happens, well, they know how to, they know how to interpret this, Right? Oh, I know what this is. The gods have become like men and have come down to us. And we know from Paul's preaching all over the place 
um, he would have started, as he does again in, the, in this explanation, he would have started with the whole issue of idolatry. He always does. And yet the people didn't hear it. In their heart, they're still idolaters. And their explanation for this miracle is the gods have come down. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus. Zeus, of course, is the chief god in the, in the uh, pantheon, right? And Paul, they call Hermes because he was the chief speaker, right? So the messenger of the gods. He's the one who's doing the preaching, so he must be Hermes. Paul, or Barnabas, I think, is older, and um, whatever, they think of him as Zeus, right? The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Now, what happens? Oh. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes. Now, notice, interestingly, what's, what's weird about that line before we even get... Yeah, Luke calls Barnabas an apostle, right? Did you see that? Now, Barnabas is not an apostle, He's not a capital A apostle. He's not one of the original 12, and he's not Paul like Paul who was, you know, Jesus appeared to him on the road and gave him this commission and all of that. Apostle is a word that sometimes can be used the way we would use the word something like evangelist or missionary, someone who's sent. These, these men are sent. They were sent by the church in, in Antioch. They're on a missionary journey. And so sometimes that word can mean less than apostle, still someone who's sent on a mission, right? So when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes. They're appalled, right? Tearing your robes is a sign of intense hatred or sorrow for what's going on. Mourning. They are so appalled that, they would, that, that these people that they, they've been preaching the gospel to throw away your idols, turn to the one true and living God. Now these same people are trying to sacrifice to them as if they're gods, you know, they rip their garments. Completely appalled at this. This isn't a little kind of, well, I guess, I guess they just weren't ready for the message yet. I guess we'll just move on. They're utterly appalled utterly appalled. And, and ripping your garments is an outward sign that everyone can see. Oh, he's ripping his garments, you know. He's not just feeling really bad and gets a nasty look on his face, you know. This is an outward expression of what's going on. Public, public expression of, of disgust and hatred and sorrow for what just happened. And they're going to do everything they can to stop the priest and the crowds from offering sacrifices to Zeus and Hermes. You get in the way. This is like getting between a, a dog and his food. <laughs> you, know? you don't want to get between the idolater and his idol. Um, but that's what they do. They tore their robes, and it says, and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of the same nature as you, 
and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with with food and gladness, even saying these things with difficulty. They restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. So I think they did, but it was hard. Now, look at what what they say. He says, we are of the same nature as you. So what's that getting at? They think that they're gods, but Paul says, no, we're of the same nature as you. So what, what big underlying reality is down beneath that statement? Yeah, they're men, which means they're what? They're sinners of the same nature, sure. But if they're men, what are they not? They're not God. Okay, so this is the, the distinction between the creator and the creature that is at the heart of all reality, truly. The, the God is not part of creation, and creation is not God. You can't worship us because we're just men. We don't deserve worship. We're not God. God alone is to be worshiped, not men. We're just the same as you, right? All paganism reverses that. All paganism, even Islam, gets this wrong, all right? It, it mushes together the creature and, and the creator so that they are one and the same, all right? We all are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. What is the gospel here? What's the summary of the gospel in this, in this sermon? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Is it even trust in Jesus? What is the message of the gospel here? What is it? Turn from these vain idols to the living God. That's the good news. The good news is there is a living God. There's a true and living God, and you must turn away from these idols and embrace him. Now, he's been preaching. There's all kinds of other stuff that could be said. But look, the gospel is that you should turn from idols to a living God. The gospel, the doctrine of creation, and he goes into creation, who made heaven and earth and sea and all this in them. The doctrine of creation always destroys idolatry, and idolatry always destroys the doctrine of creation. Because we end up worshiping the and serving the creature rather than the creator. Then he goes on. In generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. So he summarizes all Gentile history before Christ's coming by saying in the generations gone by, human, all of human history up to this point, he summarizes by in the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. Think of the darkness. Now, I want you to think about that line and the reality behind that. All of human history to that point summarized like that, right? Think of all the darkness, the debauchery, the death, generation after generation after generation after generation after generation across the entire globe. 
Think of the idolatry. Think of the human, human sacrifice. Have you seen the pictures of the mountains of skulls that they found in, in the worship places in South America from the Mayans and the Incas? Mountains and mountains and mountains of skulls. Generations. Think about this. All right, where are we? Well, here's Israel right there. Now look at the world. Look at how big it is. Look at all the people for all the generations from creation on. You have a little tiny bit of light right there, but half the time they're worshiping idols too. And now the gospel comes and Paul and Barnabas are right there. Right? Just barely outside of Palestine, Israel. Think of all the people. Think of the sophisticated Romans and Greeks. All the darkness and debauchery and and sin. Think of the tribes of Africa. That whole continent, South America. Think of the tribes of North America. Think of the the Mongols and the Huns and the and the just vast humanity of India. Think of the Aborigines in Australia. Think of all these people for all those generations. Complete darkness. Right? God saw them all. He saw everything they did. He saw their brutality, their, debau- their debauchery. He saw their gross immorality and idolatry. He let it all happen. In generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own way. He did that. He let that happen. That's what he says. He let them go. But what's the point of saying this? What's the point of, the, of Paul saying this here? No more. No more. You pagans need to repent. The gospel is no longer hidden under a bushel in a little land on the east coast in the Mediterranean Sea. Right? No more. Jesus came and he died and he rose from the dead so that he might be Lord of, of all so that every knee would bow to him. He is seated on God's right hand. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. He must reign until all his enemies are under his feet. Right? All of them. God Almighty has given the Lord Jesus all the nations as his his inheritance. Psalm 2. I have given you, ask of me, and I'll give you all the nations as your inheritance. And he has bound the strong man, he says, He's cast him down to the pit so that he cannot deceive the nations any longer. And so now, you see, Paul is here. Just dipped his toe into the darkness, but it's dark. And he says, we proclaim the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, all of those ages, all of those long generations where God let them go, let them go, let them go, let all the nations go, people who live down here, 
people who lived out here, people who lived down here, people who lived up here, right? Let them go, let them go, let them go. Does that mean they're without excuse? What does he say? Yeah, we don't have time for that. Let's go back to here. Here's what he says, look. Permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness. What, what he says, what Paul, the Apostle Paul says, and remember Romans 1, they, they all know, everybody knows the true and living God by the creation that he has made and by their conscience. He has made himself known to them. How? By the world he has made. He did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Right? He gives them blessing. And they're able to actually taste it. He gave you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. These pagans across the globe have, have actually been able to enjoy the world that God has made. And that enjoyment in it is itself, the gift and the ability to enjoy the gift is a witness to, to, to the true living God that everybody has access to and everybody knows. Right? So they're without excuse. They're without excuse. They've rejected him. They thought the gifts, they, they decided, no, the gift is coming from Zeus. No. You know better than that. You know better than that. Right? Okay. Now, let's be done. The very end here. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having won over the crowds. They stoned Paul. They didn't just plot it. They actually got it done this time. Dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. And the next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. And after they had preached the gospel to that city too, the thing that got him stoned half to death, right? They returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. So they're making a reverse cycle, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. What, is it, what do you think Paul looked like having been stoned practically to death? What do you think that man looked like as he's standing there going back to the, back to the Christians in all these towns that he'd preached the gospel to and he's going back to them? What do you think he looks like? Have you seen Andrew Henry's black eye? That's nothing. He was stoned to death, practically. Can you imagine what that man, what Paul looked like as he's teaching them and encouraging them and saying what? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. It's not gonna be easy. Look at my face. It's been beat to a pulp by rocks, by people who are trying to kill me. Right, a, a living uh, example of this. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, notice elders plural, in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They gotta go, they can't stay around. And then they go back. 
They passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. They're just making the reverse cycle. And from there they sailed back to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, so this is the first missions conference, the first missionary report. These are the missionaries who are coming to give their report. Right? They began to report all that God had done with them. All that God had done. And how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. They're accountable to the church who sent them out. They come back and they report what happened. Right? What God had done. Always what God had done. Not what we had done. What God had done. With them, but it was God doing it. He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Okay, we've got to be done. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement of it. Please give us faith for what you will do and can do and have purposes to do, uh, not just back then and over there, but here and now. Please help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.